This week on Voice Over Voices, it's a game of two halves. In this first episode, we discuss the importance of valuing all the different roles in this business and the somewhat irrational fear of the corporate world. We also discuss moving to Vancouver, how lockdown changes everything, accents, duality and uniqueness, and we stop just short of chatting about Nancy Drew, which you'll have to wait till next week to find out the rest of the story. Ooh, cliffhanger. Each episode, you'll meet a professional voice artist, find out who they are and how they got into this work, and listen while we run through some slightly ridiculous script games, which are based on the kind of jobs we tackle on any given day in the studio. I'm Cathy Ogden, and I'm a voice artist, singer, writer, and podcaster. A voice artist needs to be able to sight-read scripts, take direction, interpret the client's brief, create characters, moderate their vocal tone, flip from character to character, and somehow manage to do all this within a tight time limit. It's an intensely focused kind of job, and people come into it from all sorts of different backgrounds. And what's more, nobody really knows who we are. We're largely invisible to all but our agents, clients, and each other. Well, I'm changing all that, so on with the show. My guest this week on Voice Over Voices is an award-winning actor and voice artist, the very delightful Sinead Curry. Sinead is of Australian and Irish descent with an impressive career that includes film, TV, stage, corporate, voice acting and modelling in Australia and Canada. She has starred in TV shows such as The Haunting of Nancy Drew, I Zombie and DC's Legends of Tomorrow, as well as numerous international TV pilots in development. Sinead can also be seen in films such as the award-winning short film Like Breathing, featured at festivals including Palm Springs International, Montreal International, Kino Film, Long Island Gay and Lesbian Film Festival, Holly Shorts, Newport Beach and Raindance. Her work has also been seen in Australian film festivals including Melbourne Fringe, Queer Scene, Metro Scene, St Kilda and Sydney Film Festival. Sinead moved back to Australia in 2020 after living and working in Canada for two and a half years. She is utterly brilliant at accents and is constantly in the studio doing voiceovers. On top of all that, Sinead has a degree in communications and I cannot wait to dive in and find out all about her extraordinary life and career. So, welcome to VoiceOver Voices, Sinead Curry. Hello, <laughs> Kathy. Thank you so much for having me. That was a fabulous and very comprehensive intro. I loved it. <laughs> Well, I feel introduced. You have had a fabulous and very comprehensive career. So oh. what can I say? And which you are obviously continuing in to this very day mm-hmm. here in lovely Sydney. And um, mm-hmm. so I guess I want to start at the beginning and I want to find out when little Sinead was at school, were you that kid that was in the school plays? Was acting a thing that you wanted to do then, like from when you were really little or how did it happen? I love that you're asking even about little Sinead. Um, So (laughs) much to my parents' dismay, I always wanted to be an actor. I popped out of the birth canal and I was like, I am ready. (laughs) Let's do this, everyone. I know what my purpose is. My purpose is storytelling and dang it, I'm going to do it. So I was very much the kid in the school play or the kid trying to sing the solo 
not that I was the greatest singer as a child, uh, but yeah, I played Charlotte in Charlotte's Web and uh, <gasps> little Sinead was very proud of that debut. Oh, yes. <laughs> So, uh, uh, yeah. as in a school production of Charlotte's Web? Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay, cool. uh, and then my folks really tried to get me interested in other things. Uh, and all I cared about as a kid was storytelling as an actor or music. So I had music lessons and my parents worked really hard so that uh, they could afford to send me to extracurricular activities that weren't always the most accessible <laughs> classes. It's not like you could go to fantastic acting camp for free um so they were extremely dedicated to supporting me especially when around the age of 13 they were like oh man she's really not going to give this up (laughs) she's she's determined so uh yeah my first ever semi-professional uh stage appearance was at atyp i was 14 and the production was called in exile yeah okay 14 Mm -hmm. that's young yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And so what, what was what was your role like in that? I was just a member of the ensemble. The whole thing was a devised piece um, uh, centred around immigration and the family and child experience of coming to Australia. Oh. And it was a very topical production, <laughs> especially oh, wow. for quite a grown-up theme um, in that it dealt with the experience of people moving through detention centres and uh, the recent, at that time, boat tragedies that we had had in our national history. So, yeah, it was a really fascinating piece and quite a heavy theme. (laughs) Yes. Mm. Good Lord. And one that is still, sadly, a a theme that is continuing in this country, which is rather just horrifying, really. Mm -hmm. Oh, good Lord. So once you had... So that was your first production, and then mm-hmm. you went through high school. And I believe you did a degree in communications. Yeah, my dad and my stepmom uh, made a pact with me that they would let me be an actor <laughs> if I got a degree in anything else. Then they would really lay off and be supportive. And I was like, okay, I can do that, sure. <laughs> so um, uh, t- to give you the context of this, my folks were a pretty – glorious working class, lower middle class family. My dad's a builder, my mum's a nurse. So in terms of them not really wanting me to be an actor, it's just because it seemed like such a different career path from what they had taken and also all of the family members. There's no real creativity. There's certainly no connections in terms of nepotism. I I just wanted to do it and wouldn't take no for an answer. Um, Yeah, so I started my degree and fortunately, I had some career counselling from a teacher my drama teacher, Miss Sverdloff, uh, in year 12, she was phenomenal and so supportive and suggested that I do a specific communications degree offered only by Charles Sturt University in Bathurst. And it was like one year of communications. So um, writing, journalism, marketing, copywriting. And then the other two years were production and performance for film and TV and theatre. Oh. So I ended up learning about all of the different people who work in our industry, in front of the camera, behind the camera, on stage, backstage, and also getting to try out a lot of the jobs. So I'm really, really grateful I did that degree, not only because I got a cool education and met my best friends. I also was able to have a better professional respect for all the people I work alongside each day. And I understand that as a performer, 
I'm a tiny piece of the puzzle, unless yeah. you're a writer, director, performer, creating your own work. We're the last people to become involved in a show <laughs> or in theatre. We're very fortunate if we can fit in as a puzzle piece that's needed to tell a story, uh, but we are certainly no more important or less integral to a production than any other member of the cast or crew. I just, oh, God, I cannot begin to, to just express how brilliant it is to learn and understand that at that age, I mean, at that time. And just for, yeah. for something to, that knowledge and understanding to have throughout your career is gold. Because um, particularly coming from a background where you, <clears throat> you couldn't go to your parents and, and ask them to help you with this or anyone else in your family because they didn't know, they don't know the industry. Um, and I know from, yeah, yeah, I just know from me when I was starting out, I had no idea about anything. Like I, had a, mm. I have a sister who's a singer as well, but I had no idea about the business and everything terrified me. But yeah. when, <laughs> <laughs> that's a familiar notion. <laughs> <laughs> and also anything, anything to do with the business side of things was, was always sort of, it was like the thing that you get through osmosis, I think a lot uh, for, as a performer is that, that the people who work in the business side of things are scary and terrifying and <laughs> and that that you know <laughs> but to have that understanding that that it is this huge machine that has yeah. all these parts in it as well as the corporations and everything around it and that the independence and all the other stuff i'm just i'm blown away by that i'm so glad you had that education because i just think it's oh. it's just so so useful to have that understanding Absolutely. And if you looked at my resume that is not acting and voice related, I have a whole separate resume thanks to that degree. I, yes, have sometimes worked in hospitality as an actor and a voiceover artist as a backup job. But I've also been fortunate enough uh, to edit a magazine, to be a copywriter, to be a live TV producer, to be the guest wrangler. Um, and so I've had this interesting lived experience that helped me to be a far better performer and voiceover artist as a result of doing a communications degree. I'm so grateful for that experience and uh, even to see behind the scenes. Yeah, the, you're right. The people in the head office, the producers, the executive team, mm -hmm. they're painted almost like villains or like big scary entities. Yeah, they are. In, in reality, that creating that creative team is making our jobs yes and the fact that they would like a show or a production to succeed is a good thing because in no other industry is money frowned upon like where this is a career yeah we're very fortunate to have a really fun job in an incredible industry and what we're doing is not brain surgery but of course, executives would like to make a little return on their investment. You know what I mean? Like films and because TV shows, we should be doing well. Exactly. It's oh, look, honestly, this is this is a huge story because I, I mean, I'm I'm married to somebody who's a music publisher, and mm -hmm. I just remember as a singer just being terrified of anything to do with record companies or or mm. publishing companies or or anything because I just thought that they were all sharks, you know. And mm -hmm. that was, and that still, sadly, is how a lot of um, young singers and performers and people think, and I'm sure it's the same in the acting world, that it's this terror of mm. <laughs> of this horrible, these horrible people that are up there in suits that are out there to get you and rip you off and all the rest of it. And they're not. Mm. They, they just want you to be the best you in whatever role you you are expressing. And um, and that you're sure they want to make money out of you, but the amount of money that is 
poured into a production of any kind, of course they need, you know, people to be professional and they need, mm -hmm. well, ah, anyway. Wow, Absolutely. that's so cool. That's yeah. so, oh, wow. It's, so it's wild once you realize that um, everyone <laughs> in a production is integral, even the person who is the uh, showrunner who originally pitched the idea. Yeah. The show would not be here. We would not have scripts in our hand. We couldn't go to work if that showrunner hadn't formulated a good pitch for one idea. Yeah. And then it worked and now we all have jobs. I just have so much respect for the process and I like it because it keeps me level-headed. Sometimes I feel like this uh, career is cyclical. You might have experienced this too. So sometimes I'll be in demand and boy, doesn't that feel good. Yeah. And then six <laughs> months later, I forget that the phone has ever rung because I am, in fact, so sedentary, so bored. And considering a lifestyle change entirely, cool, I'm going to study law. That's it. I quit. <laughs> and then suddenly I'm in demand again. And that's just because people tell stories in different ways yeah. and they sell products in different ways. It's actually not personal. It's just oh whether or not Lord, we fit no. the really roles. Isn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. So... At one point, you decided that you were going to up sticks and, and just go to Canada. Mm -hmm. And so what what made you decide to do that? Um, well, I had tried to get an O-1 visa. And by tried, I mean I had twice assembled the application for the O-1. Uh, and this was when I was about 24. So I felt... <laughs> the irony. I felt ancient. I felt so old and like if it hasn't happened for an 18 year old, it'll never happen to oh, me God. at 24. But fortunately, uh, an American agent, uh, Chanel Kenner is now her name. She's not an agent anymore. And uh, the beautiful girls at Q Agency in Vancouver had both gotten in touch and found me through my Australian agent. They just knew that Australian talent were doing really well and they wanted to invite people over to have a meeting, to maybe meet, to sign a contract so that they, in time for pilot season, uh, could start to train us up or to see how our accents were going to go, to see if we really fit within the American or Vancouver landscape. So they contacted me through my agent and I went to the States. I went to LA. I met with Chanel, loved it. I uh, was very excited and gung-ho, in fact, about getting there. But then I assembled my application and then the criteria changed. And I was like, okay, cool. Back to the drawing board. I'll assemble another application. And then the criteria changed. And oh, I just took it as a sign <laughs> that it was not the right time. And so I started looking around at different visa opportunities and I wanted to get credits that were either for US or UK TV shows. Mm -hmm. So I found a few places and the easiest one to get a visa was Vancouver because thank you Commonwealth, we're all part of the same visa initiative. Um, it also helps that I'm an Irish dual citizen and Canada and Ireland have fabulous partnerships. So I decided to go to Vancouver. I bought my ticket. I hardly researched the place. I didn't even Google like what to do in Vancouver or where should you live? I booked the Airbnb like at the airport. <laughs> this is how really? not to do everything, everyone. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I really committed. Optimism. Um. <laughs> oh yeah. It was naive. It was dumb. Oh boy. Um, so I booked the Airbnb. It turns out in the worst absolute worst part of Vancouver you could possibly go to oh my 
So I arrived and I was ready and my agent was, pardon me for my email sound, my agent was uh, moving house. So we met that following week and in the interim, I just started to walk around downtown Vancouver and see what was going on. And there was a cool place called Gastown and there was a nice park called Mount Pleasant and it looked really nice. And then I'd (laughs) train home for what felt like a decade to my very scary (laughs) neck of the woods. Oh man, so scary. So that was not ideal, uh, the placement of the Airbnb, but the hosts were very kind. Um, Yeah, and so (laughs) that was it. I came home in the interim for a family wedding. My best friend also got married. And then I came home and you and I got to meet at a lunch organized by the fabulous Teresa Lim. Yes. And then I went back to Vancouver for a couple months and then the pandemic hit. So here I am, I'm back. Ah, got it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, pandemic has just changed everything for everyone. It's just... Oh, it has been a fabulous reshuffle. I have just thrown out my goals. I have no idea <laughs> <laughs> when things are coming to me or why, but I know that if the career trajectory I was certainly on and the momentum I had, if that is all meant for me, it'll somehow circle back around. I I have to tell myself that or I'd go nuts. Is it, uh, are you already, are you contemplating going back to Canada at some point or what Um, do you think about that? Well, honestly, thanks to the pandemic, I now just feel open to opportunity. Mm -hmm. If that means I get to go to Brisbane for six months or Perth and film something, or maybe I just stay in Sydney forever, that is okay. I would love, if possible, vaccine uh, passport pending to travel to the Northern Hemisphere and work again. That would be ideal. I'd really love to do that. Uh, If not Vancouver itself, maybe Toronto, maybe New York, maybe even LA. I now fortunately have the credits, thanks to my Vancouver trip, um, from the US and UK, from pilots as well, to submit an O-1 visa in a way that would not be knocked back ever. Uh, Uh, So I got the yes on my O-1 credits, which is great. I got those roughly a week before LA shut down for the pandemic. So, um, yeah, I was really just about to transition into something that I think could have been pretty cool. And I am fortunate to have my health, (laughs) my safety. (laughs) I have a home. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, I mean, fortunately, uh, Australia has, you know, we've had lots of, and we're in a lockdown at the moment, but, Mm -hmm. um, and Sydney, I guess, and Melbourne have had more than their fair share, but, but really, relatively speaking, we can walk out the door and you're, you're pretty sure that you're not going to encounter somebody with COVID. Whereas Mm -hmm. if we were in very many other countries in the world, like the UK or US, Mm. you pretty much are going to walk outside and encounter somebody with COVID. It's just everywhere. Absolutely. um, We're so fortunate here. We are very lucky. Mm -hmm. Well, um, I have lots of questions for you, obviously. (laughs) But I'm wondering whether, mm, I want to, okay. I want to do something with accents with you because I, okay, I just I I looked at your showreel and I've listened to to your voice numbers and I just am blown away by your accents all, <laughs> all of them. Ooh. Um, I love accents so much. They're so much <laughs> fun because you get to hear and learn how a different country or city articulates and how they tell stories. It's so interesting. So do you, I mean, if you had a lot of dialect coaching, is that something mm. that you've done or is, are you, have you got a natural ear for accents or both? So 
I have a natural ear for all accents except Irish because my dad is oh my Irish <laughs> and all I can hear if I'm trying to do the accent is how devastatingly wrong the accent is. I can do a lot of other accents and I'm very proud of them. It's my blind spot and I'm working on it. Currently, I have been doing a lot of accent classes in the pandemic from lockdown. Uh-huh. I have this mind map on my kitchen wall, right? And it's like, I deserve to make my living as an actor and voiceover artist. And around it are all of these ways I could potentially be working towards that goal, even if I'm working a backup job, even if I'm in lockdown. So some of the accents that I would love to learn are listed on that board. And I have so far learnt, <laughs> oh, I'm still practicing. So if you test me on this one, it's going to be so-so. Okay. Um, a Welsh accent. <gasps> I've learned Excellent. an estuary London accent, which I've always wanted to know more about because I love, I love uh, Cockney accent. slang. I also love the MLE accent, that amazing like bruv sound. I, I wanted to oh, hear about that. So and good. so... I have worked with Linda Nichols Gidley. Uh, I've previously, as a young person, again, mum and dad and my stepmom being extremely supportive, they let me do classes at A2IP and some of them were accent classes. So I did a Tash McNamara uh, American accent, standard American intro when I was like 14 or 15. And so from there, I've wrapped my head around a couple of the US dialects, a couple of the different ways of speaking in the US as well. So yeah, I'm I'm really interested in accents. I They're love awesome. This. Oh, that's so cool. Well it means you can work anywhere and in anything. Oh I hope so. <laughs> well, that's, but it is true. I mean it and I I know from watching you on film, like in, in Nancy Drew and things like that. Oh we have to talk about that because that was big. But um Oh yeah. But your accent in that is utterly faultless. Like you just there's no way that you would ever not believe that you were American in a million years. Like it's just you are. You just Thank are. you very much. I'm very proud of that accent work too. And they were lovely. The Nancy Drew um, cast and crew had myself and Kurt Snedden, who was another of the like ancillary characters in the pilot, come back each fortnight as every new episode was being read and we would be the readers in the room. So for any cast members who couldn't be there, we would be reading their parts. And it was the loveliest sense of community because not only did I get to come in for filming days, I got to get to know everyone. And um, often Larry Tang, the director, or whoever was directing, would kind of throw like a curveball accent in there. They'd be like, and then uh, Johnny enters and speaks in a New England accent. And Kurt and I would be like, okay, let's do it. And so it was a bit like the accent Olympics. Um, Yeah, it was great. (laughs) What fun. Can you do a Canadian accent as well? Yes, I can. Um, what would you like me to to talk about? Well, I think I think um, I'm going to throw a bunch of these at you when we in a, in a little while when we do when we do the um, quick fire direction. Okay. But I think we're going to start with the two in the booth, which okay. we um, <laughs> I follow Sinead on on um, Instagram, and I just for listeners to know she she had this picture of this beautiful snake, and mm. I love snakes and. Sinead, you were talking about the fact that you had a dream with the snake in it, which I have dreams with snakes in as well, as well as just loving them as a creature. Uh, mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to have one in my life, like as a pet. No. I wouldn't mind, you know, having one in the backyard. But yeah, I, I just, you know, feeding them and stuff is a bit gross. So this two in a booth is two snakes. We're a couple of snakes. We're so ready. Am I loopy or slim? Who would you like to be? I don't mind. I You can, you. Uh, I don't know, you want to be uh, either. Look, they both have... 
Hang on. Okay. Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you the scenario. So, mm-hmm. Loopy is the one that is not having a great time. Mm-hmm. Um, he or she is um, <laughs> just, just they. They are not a not a particularly happy snake. Uh, whereas Slim is just like you know cruising around being a snake. He's pretty happy. He slash mm-hmm. she. And so I. Uh, would you rather be a, a, a happy snake or a or a confused snake? I'll be a confused snake, thank you, Kathy. My pleasure. My pl- any time, any time. And now, what what do you think a snake's accent would be or character? <gasps> I think that I would love Loopy to have a lisp. <laughs> <gasps> Genius! It's time. It's time for the lisp. Okay. Yeah, it is. It's, I'm t- okay, yeah, and um, <laughs> and and you can be you can be young, you can be old, you can be whatever you like. I think okay. I think maybe even young, quite young. Fabulous. Okay. Yeah. Now, okay. as far as accents concerned, I could spin the accent wheel, but I'm thinking that I would love to hear Loopy to be maybe either Canadian or one of your many American accents. Ooh, okay, great. Uh, okay, and it's going to be young, fab. Okay, here we go. Let's I'm just trying to remember how did I do this when I was dubbing in Canada? Okay, I'm on it. <laughs> and um and Slim okay. I think is going to be very Australian. I'm I'm not even going to break an accent out for this. I'm just going to be <laughs> real Australian. Okay, fab. Okay, here we go. Hey, Slim. Hello, Loopy. How's life? Flat out like a lizard drinking, Loopy. How about you? Truth be told, I've been flat as a snake in a tire track, Slim. Ah, oh, sorry to hear that, Libby. Um, what's the problem? Uh, you know, just can't get my slither on. Winter blues? Yeah, probably. Although, I think it might run deeper than that. But you're a particularly perfect python, Loopy. What could possibly be the problem? It's the mice, Slim. I just don't feel like eating them anymore. Loopy, that's terrible. Did you get one that was, like, off or something? Yeah, no, I just think I'd rather be a vegetarian. Seriously? Yep. Just can't stomach those little baby mice anymore. Mm-mm. Jeez, Loopy. That's nuts, mate. Yeah, I reckon that'll be the solution, Slim. What? Nuts? Pass me a macadamia, will you, Slim? I haven't got any hands, Loopy. Oh, yeah. Could my day get any worse? Is your pet python a little bit peaky? Has your snake stopped snacking? Come to Pet Palace. We have a full array of treats and tasty tidbits for your scaly, furry and feathered friends. Sad snake, bored buddy, forlorn fish, depressed dog. Come to Pet Palace. It's paradise for pets. (laughs) <laughs> and we do <laughs> i was appalling you were brilliant um you I was fabulous <laughs> i'll hear nothing else said about that voice <laughs> no i was just it's i it was meant to be bored budgie i should actually you know check oh. my scripts before i uh send them out but buddy it works budgie oh cute mm-hmm. um god that was great i feel like i was like 2,000 miles away from actually being in the moment with that. but <laughs> <laughs> Well, I had a ball with you, whether Good. you're in the moment or not. Good. I should stop talking about me. You were fabulous. Oh, you were fab. <laughs> this 
this episode you. is just us complimenting each other, everyone. <laughs> no, really. No, really, you were fabulous. <laughs> oh, no, you. No, really, stop. you. No, stop. Don't stop. <laughs> no, don't. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I almost feel like doing that again. Okay. No. What do you reckon? Let's do it. Let's do it again. And I might I might join you in an, in an accent. I mean, okay, not that, fam. you know, that was. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Mm, this is where the accent see. wheel actually comes into being, uh, you know, maybe I'm going to spin it. I'm going to spin it. I haven't brought this out in so long. Go for it. But I'm going to do it. Accents. Here we go. Mm-hmm. I'm spinning it. Okay. Oh, my gosh, it's Russian. <laughs> <laughs> this is perfect. I have not brought out Russian accent for so long. <laughs> I'm very excited to do this. Okay, I, let's... What? Okay, sorry? Fam. Yeah, you what? Do you want, do you want another also accent? I am very happy for you. Uh, would you like to join me in Russian? We can both be, we can be Russian snakes or would you like something I, else? I would love to be Russian snake with you. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. <laughs> okay, off you go, Loopy. <laughs> hey, Slim. Hello, Loopy. How's life? Flat out like a lizard drinking, Loopy. How about you? Truth be told, I've been as flat as a snake in a tire track, Slim. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that, Loopy. What's the problem? Oh, you know, just can't get my slider on. Winter blues? Yeah, probably. Although I think it might run deeper than that. But you're a particularly perfect python, Loopy. What could possibly be the problem? It's the mice, Slim. I just don't feel like eating them anymore. Loopy, that's terrible. Did you get one that was off or something? Yeah, nah. I just think I'd rather be a vegetarian. Seriously? Yup. Just can't stomach those little baby mice anymore. Jeez, Loopy. That's nuts, mate. Yeah, I reckon that'll be the solution, Slim. What? Nuts? Yep. Pass me a macadamia, will you, Slim? I haven't got any hands, Loopy. Oh, yeah. Could my day get any worse? Is your pet python a bit picky? Has your snake stopped snacking? Come to Pet Palace. We have a full array of treats and tasty tidbits for all your scaly, furry and feathered friends. Sad snake, bored budgie, forlorn fish, depressed dog. Come to Pet Palace. It's paradise for pets. Yay! Yay! (laughs) I found that extremely challenging, I'm not going to (laughs) lie. So glad you pushed me. Let's, yeah, I'm really oh proud. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh. Okay, well, that was fun. So, we were chatting before we actually started recording, and you were saying that duality plays yeah. a massive role in your life and career. So, tell me what you mean by that. And okay. Yeah. Thank you for riffing with me on this idea. It's something that's never been discussed on a podcast before, and I think it's important for me to note. Um, because when I was growing up, I heard all of these interviews with actors and voiceover artists, artists in general, who appeared to have had 
a kind of fantastic, mainstream, middle-class-ish Australian upbringing. And I was like, huh, my experience doesn't necessarily mirror that. So um, to begin, my name is Sinead Curry. That is a very Irish name in a very Australian accent. And I am aware <laughs> that I mispronounce my own name. Enough and I Irish people have told me that, including my dad. Um, my dad is Irish. He came here in the 80s and met my mum. They married. They didn't stay together all that long and they divorced when I was six. So prior to that, my mum practices a type of Hinduism. When people look at me... I'm extremely Caucasian. They don't assume that I have any experience in Eastern traditions at all. They'd be right most often if they were to stereotype the average Caucasian Aussie walking down the street. Mm -hmm. um, but with mum, I grew up chanting and meditating and she was quite ahead of her time in that she advocated meditation and taught me how to from a very young age. Now, obviously, everyone has a meditation app Everyone goes to a meditation class or maybe after the yoga at fitness first, they might do a minute of mindfulness. So it's very much a part of the vernacular. But mum was really into it in the 80s and 90s and still to today. And I'm really grateful for that foundation. Dad, on the other hand, is Irish Roman Catholic. But because of some pretty horrific experiences as a child, he doesn't want to set foot in a church. So I grew up going to Catholic schools because that's what dad wanted to happen. And on the weekends, practicing <laughs> chanting in Sanskrit um, at a meditation center. And that's not the normal Australian upbringing. And I was acutely aware of that as a kid. And I also wasn't sure what it was like to be normal. Now I know, of course, there's no real such thing as normal. No. But the duality extended when my folks divorced. My dad is a country boy. So he moved to the country, um, to the Southern Highlands. And now he's based in Tasmania. But my weekends as a kid, every couple weekends, I'd go and visit dad. And I'm super rural. So I was brought up in Five Dock with my mum attending fantastic schools because my parents worked really hard to get me there. And then on the weekends, I'd go and be like extra farmy. I'd be with dogs. I'd be looking after horses. I'd be jumping over fences. And my dad being a builder, I think he probably just treated me the way that he would a son because he mm -hmm. wasn't too sure what to do with a daughter. <sighs> And fabulously, I have all of these boy skills. So he'd be fixing an excavator or he'd be um, measuring a spirit, <laughs> measuring a trench and I'd be holding the spirit level or I'd be like under the excavator with him being like, dad, can I go get a magazine? And he'd be like, yeah, of course. But I have this understanding of different perspectives on religion, different perspectives on um, home life and family life, and also different perspectives from an urban and a rural upbringing mm -hmm. and I don't think everyone has that experience <laughs> I um I didn't realize it was unusual or unique until I got to uni and people who were casting me in little films or plays were like you know you kind of suit all the different socioeconomic roles like we don't know where to put you <laughs> and that I think was a learned skill from going to a really fantastic school um, for high school and most of the people who attended that school alongside me were at a really different far more affluent socioeconomic level mm -hmm. my dad worked his butt off to get me there and I had a bursary a type of a scholarship 
because I'm a smarty pants. Um, but some people were driving to school in Ferraris. And Good I remember Lord. just looking around at the wealth and the privilege and also kind of the sheltered understanding of the world yes. and thinking, wow, I don't think I fit here or in the country or in the urban world. I'm kind of like a little alien who's dropped <laughs> down onto the earth and I get blissfully to observe and so now as an actor and a voiceover artist I'm so grateful for exactly who I am I'm really grateful for all of the challenges that have made me who I am including the ways that I've stuffed up my own life and led uh, to me getting help in different ways and I'm also really grateful for all of the blessings along the journey that have led to my unique path and I have to remind myself sometimes, especially in those six-month off cycles where I just don't happen to be in vogue at that point, that my experience is worthy, that I am inherently worthy mm-hmm. of being a part of our community, of living in a creative life and of having the career that I have always dreamed of. It's it's actually easier than it sounds. It's easier than I thought it would be to accept all the goodness that's coming to me. I always thought, oh man, like, uh, we, we seem kind of poor or like some people's parents aren't divorced or some people just practice Catholicism. Well, maybe if I, and it's that, it all goes back to comparison being the thief of joy. I have gotten some of the roles I've gotten because I am me mm-hmm. for that specific reason. I think uniqueness, um, can be brushed over for actors. And so I wanted to share about duality because even in my experience of my own um, sexual identity, and I'm very open with this stuff about it on uh, TikTok and Instagram, Yeah, specifically TikTok, the lovely queer community there is so, so kind to me. Um, but even within my experience of my gender identity and my sexual identity, I identify as pansexual. That's not necessarily... Uh, the average Australian's experience and I'm worthy as an actor as a person on the planet who survived the birth canal I deserve a great career as an actor and a voiceover artist the things that make me me those differences are a good thing oh god yeah that's taken a long time to really say that and believe it and know it oh I just feel like just the uh, that just whatever uh, that whole riff is just gold Thanks, e- Every <laughs> Everyone needs to hear that, whether they're in Aww. this in this um, business or not, because hmm. I think I think we spend so much of our time hiding what makes us unique because mm-hmm. we're terrified that we'll be rejected because of what makes us unique. Yeah. And um, I too was six when my parents divorced, by the way. Um, <laughs> we're in a club. <laughs> we're in a club, yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, there's so many crossovers with your life that um, within that, that I can so relate to. And I think, mm. I think that it's, it's what I love is that um, I'm sort of a generation above, you know, ahead of you. And, mm-hmm. I think what's happening now is that um, uniqueness is being celebrated more, and I think Australia mm. Australia has a way to catch up, but I think mm-hmm. that we are trying, 
at mm. least. Like there was that beautiful program that I just finished watching last night. Good Lord, you've got a very loud cockatoo in the background. <laughs> no, it's lovely. <laughs> Gosh darn birds, of course they come now. <laughs> He just wanted to be featured. The sounds of Australia. You could be nowhere else in the world. It's brilliant. Um, No. (laughs) Um, Where was I? What was I saying? Um, Yeah, there's um, there was a beautiful program last night. um, The school that the school that was trying not to be racist. I think I can't remember what they. Did you hear about that? (laughs) No, not yet. That sounds fantastic. Honestly, was the most stunning program they took a bunch of 11 year olds in a very Mm. diverse area and they basically tested them at the beginning to see all of them across the board whether they were black or white or whatever that to Mm. um to test what how racist they were innately Mm -hmm. and then they did they did this program with them over weeks and weeks and it was just amazing to watch and they come out the other end and they're basically just lost the whole racism thing just lost it Mm. as a as a group Oh, isn't that magical to teach young people that skill? My dad married uh, my beautiful stepmom who passed away last year. Her name was Alita, and she is Ugandan-American. Oh, wow. Okay. So I would walk down the street of the country town holding Alita's hand because Alita was the best. Yeah. And old ladies, (laughs) this happened on more than one occasion, would come up to us and address me not Alita which is weird when you're a kid and they'd be like where's your mummy and I'd look up at Alita and just roll my eyes and she'd kind of giggle and we'd keep walking there was just this interesting mentality in that country town which I think is probably maybe similar to other people's experiences of country towns in the 90s they couldn't fathom that this person was my mum or that was part of my family and she became absolutely as significant as my biological mum and dad, step parents are real parents, and she yeah. is fabulous. She has influenced me in so many ways. And she told me this um, Ugandan adage that someone only really passes away when you stop speaking about them. Yeah. Very so true. I always like to name drop Alita every now and then, bring her oh, back. I love that you just did that. That's mm-hmm. a beautiful thing. She's I there's so much wisdom in. In, I just, I, oh, wow, Sinead, this could go on. We might have to make this a double episode. I don't know whether oh you've got time. I am getting preachy. No, you're not. It's not preachy at all. Get off I, your soapbox, Curry. So I'll be yelling at the recording when I hear it back. <laughs> this is all tied in, though. I, I love because, you know, describing what it was like to go to school and people who who are wealthy and know mm. nothing else and mm. they, they end up, it's not, it's not the kid's fault necessarily that they end up, you know, they have wealthy parents who send them to an amazing school and all the rest of it. Mm. The sad thing about it is that I think you end up with people in politics and in industry and whatever who have no concept of life Mm. outside of that environment Mm -hmm. and sadly you get them running a country like Australia with such a narrow view and Mm. and I think that that is why um, a lot of the amazing things that are happening in this country to stop racism and all the other isms uh, it's it's all people power it's all happening from people actually going right we've got you know we have to make a change here and um which sounds terribly cliched and but it just it saddens me that i i see so much conservatism still in this country having mm. lived elsewhere 
and particularly in the UK, I know I don't, I don't, I've never lived in Canada. I've never been to Canada actually, but um, I, I love the fact that eccentricity is um, is is an, it's being an eccentric is 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 something that you aspire to. You know, it's yeah. something that people love. Yes, but uniqueness, um, and I'm not saying it, it's everywhere, but because it's such a vast population with such a huge history and because it's it is it is so full of different nationalities i feel like mm. there is a lot more acceptance of of everything from people's sexuality to their to their race to their religion to whatever it, you just have to be you just mm -hmm. you simply have to be otherwise your life is just awful yeah you, your life can just become so small <laughs> yeah and what a shame that is. I think we're all kind of perfect when we're born. Ten fingers, ten toes, equal potential. Hopefully we should have equal rights to opportunities and support and resources, but we don't. Mm. Um, and, yeah, there, you're right. There is still a real streak of homogeneity in Australia. Like, uh, it will be so cool within our lifetimes to hopefully see difference celebrated more and more, especially within the media and entertainment landscapes too, because then the next generation can see that, can witness that on TV. I think it's, I mean, I, you know, I'm not bagging out Australia. I think I'm bagging out the conservative edge to it, you know, that, mm. that, that sort of, they're, they're holding onto it for dear life. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> and, but I think, I think, you know, a vast, I'm not going to say majority, but a vast slice of the population is is trying desperately to move on from that and mm. to to grow up. You know, the world is mm -hmm. the world is a it's a globe, and we're all on it, and we're all just humans. And mm. you know, uh, anyway, God, I'm not very very, very articulate today, Sinead. Can Aww. you just you're, you're <laughs> you are. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Fortunately, That's I can my just friend ask Kathy. Oh, sorry, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, me. Well, I Speak about that. my friend Kathy kindly, please. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. Oh my gosh. Okay, so when when you dropped yourself into the bad part of <laughs> Vancouver, and oh, oh boy, <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to know what that looks like because oh my gosh, I mean, it was so bad. It was so bad. So like. So there are different sections of um, Vancouver Public Transport. There's Zone 1, Zone 2 and Zone 3 and they get further from the urban central business district, which yeah. you call downtown, uh, as you get to Zone 3. And so just at the end of Zone 3, so roughly an hour by public transport out of the city, there is a huge urban semi-rural part of town called Surrey and it just happens to be like a low socioeconomic area so when I say it's the worst part of Surrey <laughs> I was just being judgy based off face value and I was like oh wow the roads and the pavements aren't that cool here like it was way nicer back in the city I wonder what that's about and then I started to notice like there were uh apologies um if you've got kids around but there were like um there were contraceptives lying around on the ground oh there, my god there were syringes from injecting Oofed. littering not just the road but like the pavement and I was like huh well where am I like <laughs> what am I doing here what's happening and then I came to learn um that not only were those sort of broken window elements that alert you 
to something maybe a little more sinister. Um, correct. Uh. <laughs> it, it was also like the crime capital, the most dangerous place for me to have been in terms of like gun crime and organized crime and gang related violence. And so I was very fortunate to just be in someone's suburban like basement suite for two weeks until I got my own place. Um, though probably a little bit of a rough start. And I, didn't really go to Surrey. Not many people would go to Surrey, I think, um, for castings or jobs. It's just not a part of the film industry so much. It's more of a family location and a place where disenfranchisement is kind of rife. Although in downtown, there is the longest stretch of homelessness in all of North America. In the center of Vancouver, it just stretches for miles and miles and miles. Mm -hmm. And it's fascinating to see um, abject poverty amidst gentrification and opulent wealth. Like in Sydney, if you're downtown in the CBD, you might see one or two, maybe three homeless people in your outing. Yeah. But in the main strip of Vancouver, um, the downtown, I think it's called the Lower East Side, it's it's just rife. There are people shooting up on the street and and gun wow. use and drug use is so prevalent that the um, Canadian police have some different rules that we would find uh, quite jarring. Like in Australia, we have a really strict policy on drugs, but because there are just drugs everywhere around that main strip in Vancouver, um, police can go up to someone who's shooting up. They might not. They might just watch them uh, and say, would you like to put those drugs down? And they can put them on the floor and the police can walk away. And that is the end of the interaction. That's them curbing crime and drug use oh, in oh. the Vancouver Central Business District. Yeah, it's wow. really interesting. Yeah. Gosh, it's interesting how, how, yeah. It is so, so interesting different. how different, how, I mean, yeah, I guess, I guess there are parts of Sydney that, that when I was, when I was young were, were much more obviously like that, you know, mm, the cross mm -hmm. and places like that. And, um, but I, I'm not sure exactly, I, I don't know. I've been back for five years and I'm, I'm cloistered away in the, <laughs> all the beaches. I have no idea what's going on in the rest of Sydney. But I know from London, oh God, yeah, there were parts of London, you just don't go. But it was, right. it was, um, gosh, and I used to live in them as well when I was. Yeah, yeah. me too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember I was running. Running, running when I used to live in this place called Lower Edmonton, which is in North London, years and years mm. ago, and just literally running from the train station to oh. to my house because there was a couple of alleyways I used to pass that I always, I just assumed, because there's always dodgy people around, I just assumed at yeah. one time if I wasn't running, I would get caught. Yeah, <laughs> 100%. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of glad that you ran because now you're safe. Exactly. We understand that logic. Yeah, it's fascinating when you go to another place you can see just how safe we are here. Wow, yeah. wow, wow. We are so safe and very, very fortunate. Not to say that there isn't gun crime or drug crime or, or oh, of use. Of course there is. And there's, a, oh God. We're so it, safe. Yeah. Comparatively oh. so. And also we mm. have we have a, a microscopic population. Yeah. <laughs> and a really young country. <laughs> it, we're well, so young. Yeah. We're, the, the, the white side of it is insanely yeah. young. Yeah. That's what I mean. In yeah. terms of colonization, yeah. oh, we're like infants trying to run a country. And I wish we had more um, governmental influence from Indigenous nations because we're missing out on so much wisdom. Uh, 
just on just on so many so many levels i mean the the the, the most obvious one at the moment that just springs to mind is is the fact that we had all those bushfires and Ooh. and it it's just it's just proven that if we allowed our indigenous <laughs> elders and the people who actually understand the land to do what is needed to mm -hmm. stop the the size of bushfires happening we wouldn't have such a problem but then yeah know, yeah but then we've also got a government that's in love with coal and wants to <laughs> make climate change as bad as it possibly can be. So, hey, I don't know. Um, <laughs> it is, isn't it fascinating just how in love with debt the government is too? Like oh, the government wow. loves to chat about the national debt and how poor we are. We're doing very well. We are doing outrageously well. Yes. So I think we actually have more room to move in terms of progressive ideas around climate change or supporting communities for sure. We do, but again, it's, it's the people. I mean, it's, mm. it's the beautifully intelligent, fantastic people who are going, screw this, I'm getting solar panels on my house. Yeah, and, totally. And, you know, and all, all the other things that people are, people are choosing to do. And some states are choosing to do, like South Australia and their wind farms and and the solar and all the stuff that they're doing. But anyway, oh, mm -hmm. this is getting very political, Sinead. We're a long way from from Oops. talking about voice work. And that's... Oh, dear. <laughs> Back we go. Okay, sorry. <laughs> now you're apologising and I will have to, to like, do not apologise. Um, <laughs> right, right. I find the whole thing fascinating. And I'm very glad that you survived your time in Surrey. In <laughs> oh, thanks. Me too. <laughs> How long did you stay there before you got out? And ah, oh, fortunately, the Airbnb. I was there for maybe two weeks. I think I left two days early because it was just a bit too much for me in my little rental place. And when I say little, it was the smallest place I have ever had. <laughs> And it was perfect. Um, became available in a, a different neck of the woods, right in the centre of the CBD, called Gastown, and it's such a vibrant area. I love living there. It was cool, also, to Gastown. be connected, yeah, to public transit and and getting to auditions easily. It was awesome. Mm. And so, mm -hmm. you had been there for how long before you sort of booked the first job? Oh, um, I had been there one week. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I That's kid fantastic. you not. So I met with Jen, my amazing agent at the time, who had just been moving house, like I said. I went from the Surrey place to, God, poor, everyone in Surrey is going to be like, screw you, Sinead. Uh, yeah, never mind. You know. it's, it's, it's a screw place. Um, so I went to the audition, and that was in North Van, which is as far away from Surrey as you can get. So it took me like two hours to get there on public transit. And she was like a classy um, restaurant patron couldn't believe I'd got an audition and it happened immediately after I met with Jen she's like this just crossed my desk I know we we're gonna ease you in gently but do you want to go for this how about you go to this audition and it was for iZombie a character called Muffy and I had a couple lines it was uh, one scene or maybe two mm -hmm. I think just one scene and I didn't understand that that was significant. I thought that that was just um, a fun thing that I would go do and then I booked it and everyone on set was like wow you are so lucky that this is the first role that you've booked because it's a like a proper credit in terms of um uh union work like moving towards their version of sag after yeah like I, I had genuinely booked a proper really well paid role <laughs> and that was fabulous beginner's luck and then nothing for a while just auditioned lots then i booked another thing on legends of dc yeah. nothing for a while auditioning lots and then 
Got a couple of pilots, did heaps of dubbing and voiceover work when I was there. Thank goodness for all those accent classes when I was 14 because it yeah. came in handy. Um, and when you're auditioning in Vancouver, I don't know if it's the same in your experience of being in London, but you have to be in your accent the whole time in the audition room when you're going um, to meet with the casting agents, when you shake someone's hand and then in the audition itself. And then when you're leaving, they kind of can't know that you're Australian. They They don't. I've they heard cannot that hear. That's the case. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, they yeah. can't hear your real accent because it will make them more alert to the fact that you might stuff up the accent you're doing, even if you don't. They're just, just they're a little distracted by it. Yeah. Um. So I loved doing that until I was burnt out, <laughs> and that happened, um, because auditioning constantly and being rejected a, a lot turns out it took its toll because. Um, unlike Australia, in Australia, I might get one or two really great auditions a month and then one or two maybe ads or something like a, a few voiceover self-tapes. Mm-hmm. I'm so grateful for that level of work and consistency. In Vancouver, I was auditioning for like big roles on very legitimate TV shows because there's at least 50 shows being made there every single week of the year. That's it, insane, like by the way. Three Just, times a week, right? Wow. Yeah. So I was learning like six page scripts three times a week, going to the same casting agencies, um, forming really great relationships with the casting directors, always winning the room, always being put on hold, often then being taken off hold. And hold just means you're in the top two. And then taken off hold means you didn't get the job. And yeah. so I had that for like six months. And I was like, I am yeah. sick of this. I have to stop pushing. This cannot, this is not going to happen. I give up. And so then I gave up intellectually, ideologically, and I told myself I'd keep working at Martini Film Studios. I was helping them out in terms of um, public relations. Thank you, communications degree. And then I was also working in a diner on the weekends. And I just thought I'll work for a couple more months and then I'll go home because this sucks. And then about a week later, I got Nancy Drew because I went to one last audition. Wanted to wear my fancy dress to this one last audition, and then I got it. (laughs) So that was the end of part one. I'm leaving on a little bit of a cliffhanger there because in part two, Sinead will continue to talk about her role in Nancy Drew, and we also do the Nonsense Poetry Jam, which is a delight. Plus, Sinead reads a beautiful poem by Rumi, and we also talk about social media and how to take a break, which is something that Sinead is really good at, and I'm learning. (laughs) We talk acting, narrating, and dialect classes, the difference between networking and making friends in this business. It's a really fantastic second half of this episode. Not something I've ever done before. I've never actually split a episode in half like this, but I figured it was better than an hour and 40 minutes of content in one go. So I hope that's okay with you guys. We'll see you next week. Cheers. Bye. Thank you for listening to Voice Over Voices. Scripts and concept by Kathy Ogden. Music produced by Grant Windsor and written by Jeff Franzel and Kathy Ogden. If you want to get in touch, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Voice Over Voices Podcast. If you like this podcast, please rate, review and subscribe so more people can find us. Be kind. Thank you.